0: We want to say shout out to our sponsors, Watchman Cigars, Operation Decisive Victory, Webmerized, and our Patreon subscribers. Without you, this episode would not be possible. Hello everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast, where it's our take on life, liberty, and the pursuit of gravy, while you, the listener, are invited to come up on the porch, grab a beverage, and set a spell. We've got a great show lined up for you, as always, but before we begin, let me introduce you to our starting lineup, running the Facebook Live and the YouTube Live, and manning the chat it is Magic Man hey everybody and we're also on twitch twitch ooh, it's like mm-hmm. and then uh, our illustrious uh person at the helm is our producer brian hey guys and i of course be biggin hope you guys are having a great uh, day and a great week thank you for tuning in to the southern fried philosophy podcast uh brian can you tell our listeners where they can find us on the socials
1: that's a great question
0: <clears throat> you know but All right, right we are you know? on <laughs> I forgot
1: I had to do this. Uh we're on Facebook <laughs> at Southern Fight Philosophy, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch at SFP Radio. What is I don't know what Twitch is, uh it's like video games, right? Right.
2: Yeah, yeah. it's mostly video games, but I mean it it's a lot of places.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, You can always email us at sfpradio at gmail.com. Please, if you want to support the show uh, Patreon link, it's patreon.com slash sfpradio. And you can always catch us on iHeartRadio, Spotify, and the TuneIn app.
0: Absolutely. And we really want to push you to our YouTube subscribers. Um, I know Facebook is the place to be. I mean, because that's our, our demographic is Facebook. Mm. But if you could just do us a favor, go over to YouTube, just click subscribe. You don't have to do anything else. That helps our numbers go up. And if we get a certain number, we can get to a different level and do some really cool stuff. So we would really appreciate that. Um, if you're staying at home because of the pandemic and you want to do your own podcast because you figure these three knuckleheads can do it. uh, Why don't you shoot an email to headlines at SFP radio producer, Brian will be able to get it nice and pretty for you and help you uh, with all of your podcast and video work. And also if you want to be a show sponsor, we would appreciate that just again, email us at SFP radio at gmail.com. And we will be glad to tell you how the whole thing works. So we would appreciate that. Guys, we still need listeners from North Dakota, Alaska, and Vermont. I'm about to just book airplane tickets for all three of us. We'll just take a state. Oh. We'll go there. We'll hit. We'll hit play. Get on the plane and come back. Uh, so it's pretty close. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. You could pick.
3: Mm. Uh, where would
0: you go? Be, I think Alaska,
1: if I get. To, I mean, if you're buying me a plane ticket, I want to go to Alaska. Yeah. That's
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Magic Man, where are you going? You got North Dakota or Vermont next? That we were just going to make you go uh, to North Dakota. I'll take from. I was going to say my yes, mom.
2: Yeah. My mom lived there, so she'd probably be very happy about me <laughs> going and visiting. Where when, she's not from there, she just lived there once time, long time ago. May so I I'll tell cool.
0: you, we did a, a youth mission trip up there to North Dakota and Montana, dude. That have you? Have you guys been out there?
1: No, I would love. That's on my no. bucket list.
0: Holy cow! It is gorgeous out oh, there. Man, I would love to uh, go out there. Yeah yeah no I would recommend that at any point um, so I'm gonna ask you guys like I ask you every week i you be dern we'll go to magic man first uh, doing pretty
2: good uh, just another week in paradise right <laughs> <laughs> How, however yeah. the last couple of days the weather has been in here in the Concord area has been magnificent oh man uh, I haven't been able to get out and enjoy it much but um, due to work but uh, you know let the take the dog out let her do her thing and get to bask in the sunshine a little bit, and it's kind of nice uh, having some sunshine after all that rain we've had the last week or so.
0: Open up the window at least, maybe and get some fresh air.
2: It's actually open right now. There you go. Yeah,
0: producer Brian, how you been doing? I'm good. I think uh,
1: Mojo would say this is the first fake spring, right? <laughs> that,
2: that
0: is very true. true. Yeah. yeah. So
1: I don't know if the, what the weather. I think it's supposed to be nasty, like rainy tomorrow. It's gonna. It's gonna get. It's gonna snow in like a week and a half or ten days probably. <laughs> probably march 15th you know st patrick's day it'll be snowing because right, hey, North because
0: yeah. you never know yeah uh well guys i do want to apologize i have been sick um <laughs> it has been on again off again for, i for think me. you're taking
1: this man flu thing a little too far
3: <laughs> I, I, yeah
0: <laughs> my doctor would disagree with that <laughs> um so it's not covid i keep trying to blame it on covid um but uh it's not that that hopefully just some weird viral thing going on so nobody knows but i did have to go through the whole quarantine process so i was um (laughs) i was stuck upstairs in the uh in what i like to call cell 1a and uh for 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 10 days, or close to 10 days. Um, Couldn't work, couldn't, you know, do anything. The only thing I could do was go from bedroom to bathroom and, you know, had to to do the whole sanitize, wear my mask up and down and all that kind of stuff. So I did do a, a, just a short list of positives and negatives while uh, on, on the, uh, oh, quarantine. All right. All right. So here's a negative was being away from Jess and small batch. Hmm. You know, being out, not being able to be on the team, that, you know, making her do all the hard work, that was the number one hardest thing and negative. Um, The positive for that was, man, there's lots of me time. Lots of me time. Uh, All right, so here's the second negative Uh, there's lots of me time. (laughs) There's a lot, a lot of that. It was getting really old. Uh, Here's the positive, though. I developed quite a love for popsicles don't know where that came from but uh, just sent me up a few and i couldn't get enough of them
1: was it like that pack you can get like with a hundred like the little there's like basically just syrup and the little no, things no, no, that no. cut these your are, mouth open when you try to eat them yep. it wasn't those nope. was it
0: no okay. no it was the the coconut cream and the peach like these are legit those like, sound delicious uh, popsicles. yeah no these aren't these aren't the little kitty ones um, so then the next negative was I had to disinfect everything. When you walk out, you disinfect everything. Um, the, the positive was I got a new super soaker. That was the easiest way to do it. Uh-huh. Just spray it down with a super soaker. and That was good. Uh, <laughs> the negative was being cooped up all the time. Uh, the positive, lots of naps, got a ton of naps.
1: I will say the weather was terrible, so you didn't miss anything outside the house.
0: You're right, yeah. Yeah, I, that, that could be a positive. Uh, the negative, um, there's way too many naps. <laughs> um, the positive, though, I did not get any bed sores. Uh, I just had no, no energy, and all I did was just lay in the bed the whole time. Like I couldn't hardly, hardly do anything. So, But I didn't develop any bed sores, so that was a positive. Um, again, negative was a lack of energy. Uh, the positive ex- uh, was the excuse that I couldn't do anything. So like she asked, you know, could you do this? I'm like, I don't have any energy. Uh, here's the negative falling behind at work. You know, that's, you know, mm. I come back and I mean, you got a bazillion of emails. Uh, the positive was uh, I got a total of 64 pages of a 350 page book that I really wanted to read all <laughs> 64 pages way to go. Uh, here's the, uh, negative. I had a really bad loss of appetite. Just couldn't imagine to stay, to eat anything. Um, here's a positive. I was hoping to to lose some weight. You know, it was a good weight loss plan. Get sick, lose weight. There you go. Uh, the, the, the negative is I didn't lose any weight. <laughs> uh, and the positive is I'm breathing. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, uh, the positives and negatives of being in the quarantine. Ugh. Hey, you so, watched
1: uh, three Terminator movies all at one time, right? That
0: that is right.
1: <laughs> is that a positive or a negative?
0: Uh you know, the first and second were pretty good, and then yeah. uh third was, was okay. Yeah. Um I just I like the
1: ending. I think I, I, I like the ending of the third one. That's probably my yeah. favorite part.
0: Yeah. Just... No, I would Yeah. It was a good ending. Um ter- uh Magic Man, have you seen all the Terminators?
2: Uh just the second one. I'm not a really big movie watcher. Just However, I have seen The Lion one. King.
0: <laughs> well that's Five that's nine. a positive on you versus Mojo. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Um yeah, so it was just it was just miserable. So I would not recommend that for anybody. Also, I developed a love for Thundercats. Like for some reason I went back to my like eighties childhood and started watching old Thundercats episodes. Yes, sir.
2: Thundercats. And then
0: I realized there's a reboot of it and it's actually pretty decent. So oh
2: yeah. Yeah. A reboot. A reboot. And it's decent, wow,
0: yeah it was it's more anime, um mm. but it was like I, I really enjoyed it a little bit more, I, so
1: I've watched some of the Voltron reboot on Netflix,, mm-hmm. and that kind of like it got sucked me in it, it, they're real short, yeah, um, so yeah. you could binge like the whole thing in like three hours, probably, but <laughs> it 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 sucked me in enough that I was like you know they they'd like to do the cliffhangers at the end of the season, I'm like what's happening mm-hmm. you know yeah but I, I thought I, that was pretty good if you like. And, again, it's very anime-ish. And I don't remember watching the original Voltron, but I always wanted the toys.
0: Oh, man, I love Voltron. It was my go-to. It didn't
1: come on the right channel or it didn't have the right cable. I don't know. But I thought it looked good. I I was very interested in those tiger things. Lions, right? The lions, lions, yeah. Oh, see? That tells you what I'm...
0: There there you you go. Yeah, yeah, my mom would never let me play with with G.I. Joe because her... Her uh, moral was the U.S. doesn't always win. <laughs> oh. I was like, "Okay, mom, that's your political stance you want to take." So I owned no GI Joes, uh, but I had tons of uh, Thundercats and Voltrons. I understand that
1: coming out of that one conflict that the U.S. Yeah. didn't win. Yeah, yeah,
0: sure. Yeah, <laughs> there's that
1: one. Well, uh, more recent. Y'all remember Transformers. I'll yep, play, and yeah, Transformers. Was, and,
2: Go, and GoBots, yeah. which are like tiny Transformers. That's like, <laughs> uh, that's like
1: uh, what do you call it, Aldi Transformers or something. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> that's funny. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was a fun time. Um, so we want to do – we're kind of a southern – we say southern uh, fried philosophy. We want to start bringing up a southern word of the week. Uh, in, in the northern your Yanks may not know what these are, so we thought we'd at least – you know, maybe give you a word that, that you can plug into your vocabulary as you um, as you go about your business up in the north. So, uh, this week is the word buggy. Does anybody use the word buggy? You guys use those that word here?
1: Buggy. I did in the past, not
0: anymore. Really? No, I
1: don't. Got- I don't have act- actively used it in a long time. I think it's been phased out of my vocabulary. Perhaps. Hmm.
0: Yep for you guys that may not know, just a buggy is just another word for a shopping cart. Yep. You know, my mom would say, go get the buggy or I need a buggy whatever. So evidently the northerners yeah. don't, don't, don't use that, that verbiage. So, um, I, you know, yeah,
1: I think I just, someone in my life at one point has called it a buggy. I'm pretty sure sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I know what you're talking about.
0: Okay. All right. Good.
2: actually it's funny you know we were talking earlier about me working at a grocery store when i was in high school Mm. that's where i heard it called a buggy
0: for the first time That was
2: back in back in the early 90s yeah but you
0: were in california though right
2: um no i was here in uh i was actually in charlotte oh i've lived in charlotte over three quarters of my life
0: oh i thought it was i thought you were uh more i was
2: born in california but i moved here when i was 10 wow okay so i've been i've been here i'm a long time resident yeah
1: how do you feel about avocados
2: I'm a Gen Xer, so. uh really? They didn't, they're green. They didn't have or,
1: those in California, I guess, when you were 10, right?
2: <laughs> no, no. We had, a, we had a lemon tree out back that had Ooh. big old lemons, like. Come on. Six inches around. I mean, six inches of diameter. Yeah.
0: What was that?
3: Okay. Yeah. And
0: for
2: those listening, I just made my hand go He's, back and forth really fast. On fingers the like, no, 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 but
3: yeah, <laughs> no, no, no,
0: <laughs> not today. Um. Yeah. So, uh, well, cool. I, I love avocados. I didn't even know what an avocado was till uh, I did a previous podcast called Doctor David Biggin in, uh, in Texas, and he like cut this green fruit and a half and started eating it. I'm like, "What what is that thing? Like I've never seen one before." So, we didn't we didn't eat those obviously in Missouri. 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 Uh all right, guys. So, there is I saw this Facebook uh thing. It said how 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 country are you? So, a Facebook thing says, "How country are you?" It gives 40 questions. And you guys, uh, yeah. So it's going to be right. a long one. Let's do it. Let's do
2: it. Yes. All right.
0: All right. Who's so, score? I need
1: to, do I need to keep score here.
0: I, I, if you
1: can, how country am I? If you
2: can, can keep, keep my own score, score? score,
0: that would be great. Yeah, keep your keep your own score. We'll do that.
1: All right. All right. So I just tally sure. if I, if I get yep, one right. Just, or, yep. Okay. And you guys can right. play
0: at home. I'll go slow enough so that everybody can play at home. So how country are you? All right. Mm. All right. I mean, no one's ready.
2: Are we? I'm good. Let her rip. All right, right. Let her rip, Tater Chip. Okay. Uh, point hey. for Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, brother!
0: Two points. Uh, have you ever owned a pellet or a BB gun?
2: Negative. Well, so do we do a point if if you've done it's it. yes. I've yes. used
1: one. Okay. I didn't. I was not allowed to have one. So there's that. Okay.
0: Well, Does that a okay. half point. Half. <laughs> No, you have to own it. Okay. Um, have you owned a real gun? Check. Check. How Ryan? Many, do, I,
1: can I, do I get to mark one for every gun? No. <laughs> oh,
0: okay. <laughs> Ryan? No, I didn't. Prefer not to answer. Uh, ever shot a real gun? Yes. Ryan?
1: Oh,
2: yeah.
0: Not, okay. Right. You got to answer these, Thanks, Ryan. That's my in Use your oh. words. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I oh, better not. i yeah. using my mouth. Yeah.
0: Uh, gone squirrel hunting or rabbit hunting?
1: Yes. No.
0: I've gone deer hunting. Could that Does that count?
1: That's not a squirrel or a rabbit.
0: You're right. Okay. So that's a no. <laughs>
2: Actually, uh, I, okay. I'm sorry. Yes, squirrel. I did a squirrel with my pellet gun.
0: Oh. I've trapped a squirrel. I guess I have. I've Yeah. I've, yeah. No, that's true. Uh, <laughs> I could count that. Yeah. Okay. And and it killed it. So, uh, all right. So, Gone Fishing.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yes.
0: Owned a slingshot. Owned or used a slingshot. Yes. 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 Um, <laughs> plucked a chicken. No. Nope. Nope. Ga- this is a weird one. Wa- gathered wild ginseng.
1: Nope. Nope.
0: Nope. Uh, eaten deer meat. Yes. 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 Eaten frog legs.
1: No, no. Uh,
0: fed a baby farm animal with a bottle. Nope. Yes. Uh, gathered fresh eggs.
2: Yes.
1: Nope. I'm. I don't think so. No.
0: Um. Uh, driven stick shift.
1: Yes. Yeah, so. Still
2: have the car that has one. Is that a country <laughs> thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but the question is, what kind of stick shift was it? A regular on the floor four or five oh. speed, or was it three on the tree?
0: No, oh, no, on the floor.
1: I was on the floor. And yeah,
2: yeah. My yeah. old truck, pickup truck, had three on the tree. It was. It looked like a, wow. an automatic, but you shifted the gears that up there. top. Man. People, I'd be people th- thought I was banging up an automatic, <laughs> and I put it up into second, which is like park with an automatic, and be like. This was not automatic. We'd be. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Drop a transmission. <laughs> exactly.
0: Uh, all right. So, um, rode around the back of a. Or rode around the town in the back of a pickup truck.
1: Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes.
0: Uh, started a vehicle using a manual choke.
2: Yeah. Yes. My old truck.
0: Mm-hmm. Never had. Shucked corn. Yes. Yeah. Uh, waited barefoot in a creek. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Caught fireflies in a jar at night.
1: Yes. yes. I didn't do a jar. I'm just using my hand. No, that's close enough.
0: Okay. Uh, tasted wild honeysuckle.
1: Oh, yeah. Yes. Yep. I got I got
2: some in my backyard. I got
0: sick of it one time. Gathered <laughs> wild blackberries. Don't
1: eat the flower. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes, that's true. I've done that. <laughs>
0: Used an outhouse.
1: Oh, yes. Yes.
0: Yep. Uh, rode a horse. Negative. Yes. No. Smelled the scent of cured tobacco hanging in the tobacco barn.
1: No. No.
0: This is the one that I regret the most.
2: Which is weird because we're in a tobacco state.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, taking the ashes out of a wood stove.
1: No. Yes. You know, the tobacco yes. thing, real quick, my mm-hmm. great-grandmother, I got a, like a hornet sting on my arm one time. My great-grandmother on. chewed tobacco. Hold on. Oh, Is that going to be on there? Hold
0: on. Is that going to be on there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, tw- twenty twenty-five carried in wood. Yes, inside the house. No. Yes, walked barefoot down a gravel or dirt road. Oh yeah. Yep. Yes. Uh, slept in the tent. Yes. yes. Yep. <laughs> been attacked by a rooster.
2: Negative. No. Yep. I've been around him, but I haven't been attacked yeah. by I one. i not. Yeah.
0: Uh, eaten a raw apple, potato, or turnip off the blade of a pocket knife.
1: Oh yes yes I did today
0: um, dipped skull or chewing tobacco or applied it to a bee sting
1: yes to both all those things my <laughs> great grandmother my great grandmother chewed tobacco like a red man <laughs> right and I was out at her lake house and she like I got like a giant like you know killer bee mm-hmm. stung mm-hmm. me and I was probably 12 years old or younger and she just went oh no problem and she just like pulled a chunk out <laughs> and stuck it on my arm oh my gosh <laughs> Yeah, it was great.
0: Get your hog in there, boy. I get some extra
1: Woo! points for that, I
0: feel like. You should. Uh, eating homemade uh, snow ice cream.
1: Snow cream, yeah, man.
3: Mm. Yes. Yep.
2: And my parents are listening, and they just informed me that I rode a horse when I was four. Oh. So thanks, Mom a, and Dad. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Mm. So I'm going to change my, I don't know which one it was, but. Uh, just add a tally. Matter. Just, to add just, one, yeah. Yeah. Just, just add one, yeah. Just add a right. point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I did.
0: <laughs> Used a pump to draw water from a well. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, uh, Salem. Been on a hayride. Yep. Yes. Oh, yeah. Jumped into a pile of raked leaves.
2: Yes. Oh, yeah. Yep. Thanks, Dad.
0: <laughs> Carved your initials in the side of a tree. Yep. Yes. It was easy. Uh, sucked the end of an old piece of water hose in order to <sighs> siphon gas out of a gas tank.
2: I've done this. Does it have to be a water hose? No. Okay, then I can say yes. I've
0: tried and it didn't work, so Mm. I was too scared. Uh, Been shocked by an electric fence.
1: Yes, I believe so.
0: (laughs) Split wood with an axe. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. Uh, Hung laundry outside on a clothesline to dry. Oh yeah. Yep. And and number forty, eaten fried bologna. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Probably have. Yeah. Yeah. Say yes. All right, gentlemen, let's tally them up. I'm at 30.
1: I'm at 32. Oh, you guys are counting slow over there.
0: Yeah, well, I didn't. Why, I should have done that. The,
1: to... the little, you know.
0: Yeah, vashes. I should have done that. I, I did it. Oh, I totally yeah.
2: Did. <laughs> I just, you know, you can't even see mine with the. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm not even... that's crazy. So. If, yeah. you,
0: um, if you did 10 to 20, you're a little country. Uh, 20 to 30, you're pretty much country. And 30 to 40 is bonafide country. Mm. So we are bonafide <laughs> country. So if you're right
1: on 30, do I get to be bonafide or am I on the.
0: Oh, no. You're, yeah. If you're 30, yeah. you're I, bonafide.
1: I will be the first to admit I'm a citified country boy. So. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, cuz I grew up in the suburbs, so you know, I agree. Agree. Yeah.
0: I don't know how legit that is. I mean, I feel like like you need to have like um, you know, go to a field party, um drink way before you should. Mm-hmm. Um at the field party. Um you know, there's a lot of other things yeah, that would be I'm, more country. Most than... of my
1: points here come from just the family I was raised in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, <laughs> I was raised by these people would score 50 on this test, I'm just saying.
2: <laughs> You grew up in Mooresville, though, right? I did,
1: yeah, but there's some good (laughs) old boys around Mooresville. That's my point. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it whatsoever, because I used to live over there. (laughs) Nice. I was one of them in my 75 Chevy pickup. There you go. (laughs) With three on the tree.
0: And our guest is Kevin Hoffman, by the way. Uh, He wrote a book called... um, Let me find it. Here we go. Uh, Growing Up Black... In white, so I'm excited to have Kevin on. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, his his story and about uh, his. He's a biracial uh, child. He grew up in a um, in a uh, adopted white family. So just t- c- kind of talking about race race relations, and uh, he'll tell us his his uh, story. So we'll go ahead and bring him on. Well, Kevin, thanks for joining. I appreciate you uh, coming on to the show. Um, man, you have got an amazing story. Uh, I want you to kind of maybe start at the beginning, if that's okay. Oh, yeah, and yeah, just yeah. Tell, tell your story to, to our listeners.
4: Okay. Yeah. So I am the product of an affair between a white woman and black man in the late 60s in Detroit. Uh, they were both happily married just to two different people. Mm. <laughs> And so, like I said, this is in the late 60s in Detroit, which has a lot of context because most people know. That might have been a little taboo back then, right? (laughs) Oh, my God. Not only taboo, but then, so, you know, so they have this affair in early 1967. um, And my mother decides, my birth mother decides to go home to her white husband and tell him that she's had an affair with a black man and chooses to have which is just amazing. And again, like you said, it, the context at that time, I mean, a white woman who has an affair with a black guy goes home and tells her husband, I mean, he could have responded in any way. And yeah. you know, the police wouldn't have done much about it. Right. Um, and so that's where my story begins. I was born in August 1967 in Detroit, two weeks after the riots of 67 in Detroit. Wow. Wow. Um, so I'm this biracial kid. Born into this city that is literally at each other's throats because the black and white community can't get along. Wow. And some will argue even today in Detroit, they struggle with that. Hmm. Um, and so that's what I'm born into. And so my, my mother has me, and her white husband insists that she puts me up for a doctor.
3: Hmm.
4: And so taken from the hospital by my mother and her husband. It's their job to transport me to my own first and only foster. And uh, I met a woman who was the good friend of my mother. She she had shared with me that my mother called her from the hospital, said, I need your help. I have to take this child to the foster home, and I don't want to be in the car alone with my husband. Mm -hmm. And so this friend comes, and the friend had explained to me, it was my job to hold you in the backseat in a way that your mother could look in her rearview mirror and see you. She said, we pulled up to the foster home. I get out. I hand you over to her. She goes in. Five minutes later, comes out. Um, and she said, me and your mother returned to the foster home about two weeks later to drop off some onesies and diapers. And that was the first, last time me and my mother saw each other. Wow. I was adopted three months old by a white minister, his wife. And they have three biological children. So I'm the youngest in that family. Wow. At that time, they lived in a very white suburb of Detroit, Dearborn. And like I said, my father was an assistant minister at uh, St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Dearborn. And that began this issue with the community and the church because my parents had brought this child of color into this community. Oh, wow. And that included, at 11 months old, waking up to a cross burning in our front.
3: Wow.
4: And my parents stayed in that community for three years after that. And then finally decided this community is going to change us before we change it. We're going to wow. leave. My dad takes a church in Detroit. And we go from this all-white community to Detroit, where the home where we live was in a black community. So from age 3 to 18, I always grew up around kids that looked like that. Huh. And that was life change.
5: Wow. So how how was it life changing for you to go from the white neighborhood to the black neighborhood?
4: I don't remember much about Dearborn because okay. I was so young, but I can tell you growing up around kids that look like me. Yeah. You know, so I'm I'm called what most I'm called a transracial adoptee. So that's somebody who's adopted by another race. And so one of the the biggest issues that transracial adoptees have is their own racial identity. Mm-hmm. And I grew up around kids that look like me. I never struggled with, I don't want to be black. I don't want to be a part of the group that I was a part of. So that why, that's why it was so life-changing to me. I got to see kids who, you know, I got to see good, kid, good black kids, bad black kids, smart black kids, not so smart black kids. Yeah. But it just gave me, I got to see all the hues of black that I wasn't getting From TV or in the media. Hmm, And that was life changing because I didn't grow up not wanting to be a part of the group that I was in. Hmm.
5: What about for your your siblings, vice versa? Like how was it growing up for them?
4: It was tough. So, you know, part of human nature is we pick on the minority, no matter where. And Mm -hmm. so we we lived in a black neighborhood. Yeah, I can remember several times uh the black kids would, you know, chase one of my brothers home. Um, so it was tough for them. And even, you know, talking to my mom today, you know, she'll say, we just couldn't find a neighborhood where everybody felt comfortable. You know, we lived in that black neighborhood for five years when I turned, when at age eight, my dad gets her promotion. We move two miles away, still in Detroit, but now to an all white neighborhood. And so I'm oh. the Jackie Robinson of that neighborhood. <laughs> and so now it's my turn to kind of adjust. Okay. to living you know, pretty, 24-7 around white kids. Um, and that was an adjustment because those white kids weren't used to being around black kids. So they would say some horribly insensitive things because they weren't used to kind of controlling what they said or did.
5: Yeah. Wow. So um, it, listeners of the show know,
0: you don't know, uh, I'm uh, a foster parent. Um, we do have one uh placement right now it's a but it's a, a, a Caucasian white female, uh, but we're open to to whatever you know whatever happens if we uh keep going down the path of, of fostering but I mean one, foster parents are incredibly needed, right I mean, you know I see kids day in day out where they don't have foster families or they're living in their their cars with their parents and, and barely surviving. Um, can you talk maybe about the foster um, uh,
5: parents and the the need for foster parents?
4: Oh yeah, it's huge. Um, because what's the alternative? Like, so <laughs> yeah. you get that a lot. So uh, when I used, when I first started speaking, I would speak very openly and honestly about transracial adoption, and so some people would walk away from that thinking, "Man, he's totally against it," and I'm not. Um, it's a numbers game, so. If, if we don't have transracial adoption, unfortunately, purport, disproportionately, children of color are showing up in the foster care system. So if you don't have transracial adoption, the other alternative is those children stay in care and they age out. That doesn't do those kids any good. It doesn't do society any good for kids to age out of care. So yeah. it's extremely important that we have foster parents and adoptive parents. Um. And we need to do a better job, too, of uh, reconciliation with birth families and trying to get kids, you know, helping those families to get back on track.
5: Yeah. I know both of our caseworkers have
0: done, uh, went above and beyond, to try to do reconciliation. One worked, one didn't. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's really um, it's really tough. So uh, but I also want to go back to trying to, I mean, when you were growing up in those formative years for you, you were able to establish that racial identity for you. Um, uh, what do you see the, the difficulty is for, um, like, parents that will say, well, I've got a black daughter, but I don't see color. Um, and, and so we're going to treat her just like a daughter.
5: And we don't, we don't bring that up.
4: And so I always say that would be great if you were John Travolta and you were the boy in the plastic bubble and that child never left your home, Mm -hmm. but the second that child leaves your home, they are seen as a child of color and, you know, say what you want. That's just how our country responds. We respond (laughs) physically to race. And so, yeah, some people do see color. So that's interesting. I get that quite a bit, pretty much every time I train it. (laughs) <laughs> well, but I don't see color. I just see my daughter.
3: Yeah.
4: And uh, I was reading a book on race and racism in the Christian church, actually. And the author had said, How I interpret that when people say I don't see color is I don't choose to see color and race and racism. Mm. The whole system built around it. I thought, wow, that's an interesting slant on it that, yeah. well, yeah, if you don't see color. Then you don't have to address the problem of race. Right.
0: I think that's huge. That's a huge statement because, you know, especially for the church, uh, Southern Baptist church, you know, the Christian church, like, I mean, we're, I mean, it was kind of built around slavery, right? Like, (laughs) oh, I don't see color. Um, So, and we've done, the church, Big C, has done a really bad job, North America has done a really bad job with that. Like, why are we so still divided? In the church community, which you would think that that would be the one place where unity and, and acceptance and togetherness is.
4: Yeah, and I think it's because, like you said, it's built on that. Like back during slavery, Christians were using the Bible to justify. It. Right. Right. So, and you hear that now. Some of the horrible things that are going on. We go, yeah. Well, well, yeah. We're putting these kids in cages, but that's okay. Um, so yeah and, and i think and this is what i this is the whole race and racism just boils down to one thing for me which is if we can all just come to an understanding that i may experience this world in this country different from you and that's okay doesn't mean that it's not happening like that's the hardest thing as a person of color is when i share with someone that i'm hurting because i think someone treated me not so kindly because of race. And then I get the arguments basically that are dismissing what I've said. Mm. That leads to a lot of frustration. I remember when I got married early on, my wife would come to me and, and say, yeah, you did this and it hurt me. And my defensive response to that was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But my intention was this.
0: <laughs> that, that's a valid excuse, right? Yeah, exactly, right?
4: I didn't if mean to. I did was hurt her more (laughs) because I just wasn't owning up to it. And I was kind of saying, no, 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 you're so naive that you just got that totally wrong. (laughs) And so if I like to break it down like that and just say, okay, so what if you were hurting and you shared with a friend that you were hurting and then that friend did whatever they could to just dismiss why you were hurting, that wouldn't make you feel so
0: like, I got beat up by the cops. Yeah, I got pulled over one time for speeding, you
4: know? Yeah, exactly. Right. It. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. 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 Or and, and that's the whole experience thing. Or, yeah, I got pulled over once and they were just great to me. <laughs> right. But why on earth yeah. would they even be mean to you? Like, you must have done something to cause that. Yeah. When that's, it's just not been, it, there's just tense relationships between the black community and the police. We need to do a better job of addressing.
0: Yeah, and yeah. and the thing is, is, it's not a there's no silver bullet to this thing, right? Like, we can't just say, oh, well, we can do reparations and that'll fix everything. Like, it's it is so systemic that I mean, it's in everything that's going on, right? So, uh, I, I don't want to hog all the time. Do you guys have questions? I want to make sure. Just keep the floor <laughs> open for y'all. My, my
1: brain's shooting like all these different directions with this <laughs> conversation because you know, to me, you uh, know i've mentioned this in the show i live in a very diverse community and i feel like we have to kind of address the elephant in the room sometimes when you know blacks and whites are it's true we come together so yes we've had different experiences we've the world has treated us differently for different reasons whether it's right or wrong and we can't dismiss those things like from because i haven't experienced it you know uh so i feel like we even just have common ground we have to just to get on the same page that way we need to go i know you've had a different life than i have and just because you know i'm not afraid to see a police officer behind me (laughs) you know i don't fear for my life yeah doesn't mean you shouldn't or don't you know what i mean you know not i'm not the police are bad or whatever but you
4: know that's those are rational
3: things you know to a black man
4: (laughs) yeah right and that's the thing too is that Again, to me, it just comes down to logic and compassion. Right. And, and just compassionately, if you understand and hear, man, he had this experience that was traumatizing to him. And, I, and yeah. the police is a good one. So I live in a neighborhood you kind of have to come off a main road, and there's only one way in, out, in or out of our neighborhood. And I'm all, every time I turn into the neighborhood looking to see if someone's behind me, and if there is... <laughs> It's just automatic. I'm thinking, it's just on my mind that this could be a police officer. And how's that going to turn out? Um, and that is a real fear for a lot of people. Wow. And so, justified or not, that is real. So, when someone comes to you and says, Yeah, man, this is a concern of mine, the better and logical and compassionate response is, Yeah, that's horrible. Like, mm. And that well, was, if you're not doing anything wrong you don't have to be afraid of anything, right? So uh, yeah, Exactly, <laughs> right? Yeah. But, yeah
1: that's, that's that's what that's what people say, right? Yeah, yes, like,
4: that's exactly what people say is um yeah, I had this interesting conversation with a cousin of mine. So he's white. We grew up together and yeah, and the last time we talked was over uh the shooting of Philando Castillo who was the uh he was a teacher who had been shot in his car, and his girlfriend had taped it, and it was going through Facebook Live. Oh, wow. And so I'm watching, and the video played over and over on the news. And I watched that, and the conversation I got into with my cousin was my cousin wanted to tell me everything that wasn't on the video. Mm. And I said, you can't do that. <laughs> like... <laughs> If this were a court trial we'd bring in all the evidence, the video would be part of the evidence. You couldn't then say, well, yeah, but there's all this other evidence that I don't have. Like, that's not even a logical argument. Yeah. Um, That, man, those conversations always go the same way, which is kind of interesting. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so then it, it becomes, you know, one group wants to justify why this person should be shot. And that's really hard to justify.
5: And I think you said one of the the key words there is just you said here, but I think we just need to listen to stories and
0: and even the fact of just it's not even like trying to to see if it's true or not to that person or that situation. Like that's just how they felt and that's their yes. their their experience. And even if it's real or not, that's what they yeah. went through, yeah. and and we have to appreciate that and understand
5: that that's how they felt and that's what they. Went through, right? Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about the book Um Growing Up Black and White. Yes, yeah, so
4: initially I started I oh I was fortunate enough coming up um in grade school that I had this great seventh grade English teacher, Mrs. Sharper. <laughs> and I had this ability to write. She saw it, encouraged that. And so I, I always wanted to be a right. And I thought, man, what an interesting story. Like, not everybody has grown up like that. And I thought, let me share this story. Hmm. And that was the initial thought. Um, and, I, and I, honestly, the book is written to white mothers who have adopted children of a different mm-hmm. race and their race. Um, oh, yeah. And that's who I was speaking to the first time I wrote the book. And, then, you know, thankfully, my wife had pointed out, you know, there's a bigger story here. I think you can help more people than just in the adopter. And so, and it's interesting because that thought was in my head when I was writing the book. Because I purposely wrote the book because I couldn't not talk about rape in the book. Sure, And I understood that this is a very electric conversation. And I didn't want to talk about it in a way that people would just grab the book read the first couple pages, and then go, no, it's too painful. I got to put it down. Mm. And so there was a method to my madness. So the book is about, you know, this black kid living with this white family in Detroit in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, you know, lives in a black neighborhood, then in a white neighborhood. And it really just chronicles kind of the crazy stories we all have of growing up, especially as a boy. Mm. And so I tell all these crazy stories of the crazy things that, Me and my best friend, this tall, skinny, white kid in the white neighborhood and all the craziness that we got into. Mm -hmm. And then in between those stories, it's my interpretation of how those stories were affected by race. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully the aim was to talk about race in a way that people could digest it. And then have further conversation about it. And it's just me sharing my experience. Mm -hmm. And you, you had it. You hit the nail on the head when you said, "Really, the driving force behind writing this book was I just simply wanted someone to hear me mm. as a person of color growing up in America and as an adoptee. I wanted to just hear."
5: Um, yeah, and I think that's that's for everybody, right? People yeah. just want to be heard. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, and and so
0: maybe talk about growing up as an adopted parent or a child um did you ever were you able to meet the biological parents and and what was
5: that like um growing up with with maybe being with being separated from them so always thought about my mom
4: um it, and it's interesting so we grew up again context is important so i grew up in the 60s 70s and 80s pre-dr phil pre-oprah <laughs> Families weren't having these deep, deep conversations. And so we didn't talk about race. We didn't talk about adoption. And now looking back on it, you know, we know, you know, like, uh, (laughs) you know better, you do better. And so now we know, yeah, it's important for adoptees to have that environment where they can feel safe sharing what they're thinking and feeling. And I just didn't have that. Mm. Um, But always thought about my mom, always fantasized about, you know, one day meeting her. Um, and when I graduated from high school, went away to college, uh, I started looking for my mom at 20 or 21 mm. uh, and off and on search for her it took me 20 years. And then 2009. Wow. On the advice of a, a, a fellow adoptee, they suggested I use a search angel and a search angel is someone who tries to find biological family for, for adoption or vice versa. Mm. And so I used this woman as the first time I used the internet and within 20 minutes, she found my mother. Wow. And I remember, you know, sending her a uh, email on my way out to a high school football game with my boys <laughs> and uh, sitting on those cold aluminum steps and unfortunately finding out that my mother had died six mm. years before.
5: Oh, wow.
4: Um, and so, yeah, sitting on those stands, I got my mother, a picture of my mother's headstone, her obituary, mm. and the names of my brothers and sisters. Oh, wow. So that began to okay. search to find them. And, uh, so, I, so I started searching for brothers and sisters. All the, all the addresses and phone numbers that were connected to them were wrong. Mm. The only phone number I had was my mother's husband, Louie. Hmm. And out of sheer desperation, I remember I called my wife in. I'm in, my, in this room. I put the phone on speaker, expecting it to be a wrong number or no one to, would answer. And this male answered within intu- two or three minutes. And I hadn't thought it through enough. <laughs> to what I was no. to say. <laughs> and so That's I remember a- sitting there in panic, And I'm like, how do I ask the husband of a woman who's had an affair to give me information about all like I'm sure that wasn't a pleasant time for him. Sure. And so I just, somehow Jeez. I squeezed it out. Hey, remember me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> said, yeah, we met <laughs> 47 years ago. Um, and, he, and, and I'm trying to get information from him. And I said something like, I have reason to believe that your wife may have been my biological mother. And I gave her a name. And he says, Hang on, you need to talk to my wife. And at this point, I'm kind of freaking out because I'm thinking, How did I get this wrong? Like, I've seen the headstone, I've seen the obituary, and this woman gets on the phone, and I don't, and so I got to go through the whole thing with her again. (laughs) And then halfway through the story again, I hear Louie in the background say, Oh, you mean my first wife. So, Louie oh, no, had remarried within six years, and actually oh, no. I found out from my sister, my biological mm. sister, that, yeah, this woman had been around before my mother died. But my mother, my biological mother and her husband were together when she died. Mm. And so, I have to ask my, my mother's husband for information about, do you know anything about my biological father? And I'll give him credit. He was very generous and said, I don't remember anything, but your mother used to be really friends with this woman. I don't remember her name, but if anybody would know, she would. So I'm going to give the phone back to my new wife, (laughs) and she's going to take your information. When I think of this woman's name, I'll give you a call. And so I said, okay. So the the new wife gets on the phone, and I got to go through this whole thing again with her. (laughs) And then she says, Well, you know, your sister's been looking for you. Oh, wow. And I'm floored. Because I had just assumed that if a mother goes to the hospital pregnant and doesn't come home with the child, the logical answer is that the child died. Mm
5: -hmm. Because
4: my sister is eight years older than me, and I have a brother who's 15 years older than me. Wow. So they would have known what pregnant was. Right. And so so she says, Yeah, your sister's been looking for me, for you. So that was the Sunday before Thanksgiving 2009. They all still live up in the Plymouth, Michigan area. I live in Toledo, Ohio, about 60 miles south of them. My sister married a guy who lives 10 minutes from me.
3: Whoa.
4: She was literally going to be going right by my house in four days for Thanksgiving (laughs) to meet with her husband's family.
5: That's and so amazing. I met
4: my sister Thanksgiving wow. 2009. Um, wow, and she shared with me what I wanted to know. I wanted to know what the real story was. Uh, and she shared with me how difficult it was growing up in the house. Um, mm. My mother's husband Louis was not the kindest person. So much so that my sister left when she was 14.
5: Oh wow! So
4: that kind of gave me peace to knowing. That adoption was the right solution for my circumstance. And I don't say that in all adoption, but for mine, it was. I wouldn't have fared well as a child of color, quite honestly, in that white man's home. Hmm.
5: Sure. I think it's important to note that even though you, you know, you love your, your foster,
0: your adoptive parents, you know, that that, that doesn't change the fact of you know you still looked and wanted to be with your mom or and see and, and meet her and yeah. always thought about her and but that doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that that you love them any less right i think a lot of like, yeah. adoptive uh, and foster parents think well they won't love me as much as they love their own parents and, right. b- and there but there is something there right but that doesn't mean that they
5: don't love you
4: yeah i think I do a lot of training with adoptive and foster parents. And what I tell them is just understand that kids have the ability to love more than one person. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So, yeah. and here's the bonus for adoptive parents is if you can teach that child, the importance, the importance of finding love for their parent, mm-hmm. you're really just teaching them how to love you. Yeah. So why oh. wouldn't you want to open that up? And, and, Yeah, and give them some identity to who they were. Um, Yeah, that's one of the most frustrating things as an adoptee that I grew up with that I'm just coming to grips with now is the courage and just the, the fortitude that my biological mother had to, like, and I didn't share this, but when she found out she was pregnant by a black man, she went to her sister and asked for money for an abortion. And her sister mm. gave it to her. my mother left her sister's house with every intention to travel from just outside Detroit to Flint, Michigan, an hour away, to end, the, to end my life. Mm. And somewhere along that 60-mile road, she changed her mind, understanding that she was going to go home and have to explain to her white husband what she had done.
3: Mm.
4: And I wish I would have known that growing up. Because that's the DNA that's in me. Mm -hmm. And the strength that that woman had, she's passed down. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, adoption comes with a lot of loss and grief from the adoptee. And that's a big part of what I grieve was not knowing really the royalty that
5: I came. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's easy for foster and adoptive parents to um, demonize
0: those those bio parents, right? Like, it, oh, they're just really bad people, or they're they're horrible. But they're coming through a story too, and you don't know uh, what that that whole story is, and the strength that your mom had to do that is outstanding, like just amazing. And so, it, I think it's important for adoptive and and foster parents and and we've committed uh however this goes for our foster is to always be positive about the parents whether they're temporary permanent whatever is just to always be as positive as you can uh with them uh with with their parents so
4: because they're part of them like that's the thing that so if you're constantly talking bad about the person that i came from what does that say about me
0: yeah exactly So, Kevin, what are you doing now? Like, what's, what's your, your, uh,
5: your main thing that you're doing right now?
4: So my mission is to honor my mother, Helen, and her legacy. And that mm. means, so now the work that I do is all about re- reconciliation. How do we, you know, I work with schools, organizations, universities, and the biggest challenge I tell organizations, schools, and universities is we have to create a way or an environment where the guy with the Black Lives Matter t-shirt and the guy with the Make America Great Again hat can coexist.
3: Mm-hmm. And
4: that's not easy. But we've yeah. got to find a way to come to some racial, racial reconciliation. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I spend most of my love doing it, spend most of my time doing
5: it. Gotcha. How can people get a hold of your book?
4: Uh, you go, it's on Amazon. You can get it through Kindle. Um, you go to my website, which is just the name of the book, growingupblackandwhite.com, and get the book there.
0: Okay. Very cool. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. I feel like I could talk hours uh, with you. And yeah. they, I may just shoot you emails on the side. You know, <laughs> hey, what do I do about this with my foster? <laughs> um,
4: it's, and I always extend that. It's, I'm actually training tomorrow. So i will training all day tomorrow for a foster oh, adoptive group. And I tell people that all the time. And very rarely do people take me up on it. Really? Yeah, and I say email me if you've got questions. I mean part of my part of my mission too is to create a life for the kids growing up like I to make it better for them.
5: And you travel, right? Like you'll go you'll go wherever?
4: Yeah, it was in New Jersey not too long ago.
0: Okay. Yeah, we, we're part of a really awesome uh group here. Um, uh foster. Uh, Charlotte. Um, man, they're they're amazing. So I'll connect with them. They've been on the show. Uh, Becky Santoro, we'll, we'll we'll do the connection and maybe we can have you out sometime.
4: Yeah, that'd be great.
0: Absolutely. Kevin, thank you so much again for joining. We appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. All right. Thank you, guys.
2: That was pretty cool.
0: I mean, I seriously could pick his brain for yeah. days. Wow. Yeah, cool. Well, what do you guys think?
2: That that was that was definitely cool. Um, and that that one thing uh he said about how you know with foster adopted kids, you know, if you're talking about about the parents they make you know, the child might think, Well, what do you think about me? Mm. Same thing can be said um with step parents. Yeah you know, like sure. if you have a stepchild. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you talk about their natural parent, you know, that 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 could lead to some bad stuff. So yeah. I hope I didn't do that to uh, Miranda. Miranda, if I did, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I probably just embarrassed her, but she doesn't really listen, so we're probably okay.
0: <laughs> uh that we'll just tack on another therapy bill for that one. So Yeah, there we go. Understand. Um uh, uh Bryant, were you gonna say something?
1: Probably. <laughs> I <don't. laughs> yeah, I didn't know what to expect. Like I didn't know a story, so it's it's yeah. always interesting. Yeah, that was he that sounded like a like unsolved mysteries almost or one of those like like shows you know those mystery yeah. like cold case kind of sh- yeah. situations absolutely that should be a TV movie that should be a hallmark movie right there, who would it might be a Kevin? BET movie if they do the same thing I don't know,
0: yeah <laughs> man what a what a cool story and and You know, it goes across lines and I've heard, you know, uh, that so much from foster parents and, um, you know, well, we're just going to treat them just like us. And I I think it's so important to understand their culture and understand, and, and even there were classes on classes on classes of just understanding their culture, understanding what's valuable to them and, 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 and who they are and what made them them. And you can't just ignore that. I think that that's a detriment to just try to make them like you.
1: Yeah. You need to give them. They need to know their history. I think it's important yeah. to know, even for not like people like me or my my kids. You know, they're too young. They don't. They're never. Their grandparents of our passed away. Like, and there mm-hmm. were some characters there, but mm-hmm. they're not going to experience those like the, what I experienced with them growing up. As should a country have, boy or a certified country never boy,
0: Mima putting the the chaw on her.
1: Right, Based yeah, no, you're yeah. not gonna. I'm gonna have to like start dipping just so they have that experience. You know, sure. so they can or answer the you know, question. Seven. Like know where you came from. Know how you got here. Right. Yeah. I yeah. think that applies universally. Yeah,
0: yeah. and I think a, a, you know, adoptive parent are just so scared of. Well, maybe I shouldn't tell them. You know, especially if they're babies, should I not tell them? I,
1: yeah, that's so it's tough.
0: not. Man, you need to know do that that.
1: at some point. At what point do I think? Is that like abandonment? Is what happens there like that? Yeah. emotion. Yeah, I can't imagine. You know, I, yeah. you know, I haven't been through that. Um,
0: yeah,
1: what, like, when you find that out, at what age? What does that do to you?
0: <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I was talking to um, an expert the other or not I read an article from an expert saying like two and three and four is when you start having those conversations. So like even that yeah. young. To guess, start.
1: Yeah. And it, you know, when you're talking about like different races, mm-hmm. they're going to figure it out. Sure. Maybe a yeah. little yeah. sooner. Eventually. You know yeah. what I mean? They're yeah. going to go, wait right. a minute.
0: One of these things uh, is not like the other. Something's
1: not right. But then, you know, like your situation, if you guys don't talk about it, she might not figure it out on her own for yeah. a while, you know? Right.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, it's, man, it's just tough. But I think, I think he had some really good words. Um, you know, mm-hmm. just all across the board. So cool. Absolutely. All right. Um, well guys, I appreciate you tuning into the Southern fried philosophy podcast. We will, we will uh, do the the mountain Eagle next week. So we'll have that coming up. Uh, also next week, we've got my friend, uh, Lee short coming on the show. He is a huge fan. I didn't tell you guys this one. Uh, but, um, man, he's got an amazing story going from addiction to being a preacher. Um, and, uh, he's going to come on the show. He also has recently started, Brian, you'll enjoy this one, uh, a barbecue competition uh, and catering company. So I'm sure you guys will have some All right. some back and forth on that, um, which, by the way, uh, he's supposed to be coming down here in September uh, and doing uh, hops and hogs, I think. Oh, um,
1: I've, I've done that. I've been, uh, Oh, I did Hops and hogs. I did. Is that where I was at? There's like a festival they do in Huntersville. Mm-hmm. I think I went. I think that's it. They had like a bunch of like 90s rock bands. Yep. And yep. a lot of craft beer and mm-hmm. some barbecue. I did it yep. pre-pandemic like two, three years ago. Yeah. They ran out of beer.
0: Ooh, that's so not good.
1: That didn't go very well. Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> if uh, if we all get the vaccination by then, I'm thinking we might do the show from there.
2: Sounds like a good idea. Uh-oh.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Yep. We can do it. <laughs> Baby. Let's bring a battery pack with us and be fun. Yeah.
0: Oh, no. He's, he's got generation stuff. We'll be fine. Oh, he's
1: gener- all right. Yeah. It's logistics. Yeah. i I'm immediately jump into logistics mode when you say that. No, we'll
0: again. be fine. We'll be fine. We'll be good. <laughs> So, anyway, so anyway, so he'll be on the show next week. So, again, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast. And as always, keep looking up.